It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Episode 7 in my series entitled Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America. Uh, a very unique series, uh, obviously. It's sort of even hard to describe, and I'm having a tough time describing it to myself, uh, what it's like going from a, a period of 1914 to 1974. And if you, there's a lot that happens in this time, and yet I'm not going to be covering everything that happens. It's like I'm picking very unique things, and sometimes someone could look at me and go, why'd you pick that? Yeah, and that's it's a good question. Why'd I pick that? I think what I am aiming for in this series is to draw out things that are defining our world today, things that happened in this 60-year uh, period of time, which was convulsive and which was combative, and there was a lot of darkness that crept into our country in and through this period of time. And if you start sort of thinking back through American history of the, the different things that we see as a breakdown point. Like, for instance, you're going to see something known as prayer removed from schools you know, in this time period. You're going to see uh, Roe v. Wade in this time period. You're going to see a, a breakdown of our culture, of what we've always said, hey, this is the America we love. This is what God has done. He shed his grace on this country, and then yet, look what happened to us. And yet, it's not just a liberal agenda that I would say has crept into this country. I would say it's a breakdown of what we could call an understanding of true gospel Christianity. Because in this time, you're going to see a combat between liberal and conservative, yes, just like we have today, but you're also going to see a hollowing out of Christianity where a lot of what the church is going to do is something that we today are going to go, uh, that's not good. And that's going to contribute to this breakdown. And so there's an ownership that needs to be taken in the right ways. We can't just you know, throw a rock at someone out there and go, hey, it's because of them. It's actually because of us. We have the same propensity today, and I'm watching a rinse repeat in our modern day of some of the same foibles that we had in this same time period I'm walking through today. We're just vulnerable. As humans, we are vulnerable to dogmatism. We are vulnerable to going one way or the other. Like I've said in multiple messages, either going to the spirit of religion or the spirit of rebellion. And when those two go against each other, they really do hate each other. And which is why we don't fight in a political faction. We're Christians, first and foremost. It does not mean we don't have belief system that impacts our political views. It just means that we need to always major on the majors and not on the minor points of life. And the majors are the souls of those around us, the, the glory of Jesus Christ being realized in this world, and that is done in and through the sharing of the gospel, not just through the passing of laws. And so we have a tendency in this country to always make our first battle the issues of Congress and what laws are being passed and how we're enforcing those laws instead of recognizing that if we don't get to the heart of the people, we're going to lose this country. So this is uh, episode seven, and it's sort of a <clears throat> scary title, Rise of the White Hoods. 
and I'm not sure if you, if you know what I'm referring to there, but in the 1920s, we're going to have an increase of a certain group, a certain movement that is going to relaunch. It was, it was very prevalent right after uh, the Civil War in what's called the Reconstruction Era, and it was attempting to tame the newly freed slaves. They were now able to vote. They were able to function as free men and women in our society, and yet in the South, that was deemed a threat because they were concerned about retaliatory measures. And so they wanted to suppress this. They wanted to diminish this. And so it was a social movement to what they called to preserve uh, the purity of their homes, their families, their America. And so it's called the Ku Klux Klan. That is going to fade because the government is going to snuff it out. And remember, at that time, the southern side of things wasn't very politically correct. And so they were going to be snuffed out, but then there's going to be a major movement starting in 1915 with the first major blockbuster movie that comes out, The Birth of a Nation, and we're going to see the fresh rise of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, for most of us today, we can't figure out why anyone would be interested in a group like this. I mean, it, to be honest, it's very hard for us to imagine. It's like someone waking up in the morning going, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. I mean, who in their right mind? Don't they realize how ugly that is? I think it's hard because we have modern glasses. And with modern glasses, we can look at a lot of the crimes of the past 150 years and just shake our head and go, it's obvious that they, they were walking in idiocy. That is so immoral. That is so unethical. That is so wrong. That is so unloving. We can see that. They couldn't. Now, when I say that, we also need to start with the idea that is it possible that we may be missing something today? So we can cluck our tongues at something 150 years ago, but let's make sure that we allow the Spirit of God to first start with us and investigate what is going on here. The rise of the White Hoods. So the Ku Klux Klan, uh, it's, a, it's a really, it's a hard phrase to say. I don't know if you've tried to say it, but I always want to say Ku Klux Klan. And if you listen to how I've said it so far in this series, you'll recognize I've said it Ku many times. It's hard. It's actually hard to say Ku, Ku Klux Klan. So I'm working on that, guys. Uh, it's a part of the story of American history few wish to talk about. I mean, why would we want to talk about this? The fact that it's even in our history, I think we want to marginalize it. It's like, oh, well, there's some wild-eyed, crazy characters in every culture. But this wasn't just a few. This was a major movement, almost like as big as a political party. Okay, this is like a major thing in our history, and we don't quite know what to do with it. And so Eric brings it up on the screen and talks about it in Daily Thunder, right? Eric, what are we talking about that for? So this is the picture I showed you guys the other day, and it's disturbing, right? It's a, it's a guy in a, a white hood, and he just looks menacing. When you cut out little uh, holes in a white pointy hood, I don't know what it is, but it's just creepy as all get out. But the thing that creeps me out the most is that cross that they wear as an emblem of why they are doing this. This is a Christian group of people. This is, it was just extra disturbing to me, guys. I mean, there is nothing about this that I can swallow easily because this is an emblem and they actually believe they are fighting 
a good fight, that they are fighting for righteousness and purity and truth. They've conned themselves into thinking that. So back in this day, the, they're going to get this garb and this, this sort of motif of their, their movement from Scottish clansmen. So I, I mean, I don't want to you know, say that the Scots uh, had the same issues. I don't know. I haven't studied it that deeply. Uh, but especially since Ellerslie has Scottish uh, roots in its name, we have to be careful what we associate ourselves with, huh? But I've always loved Scotland and loved the stories of Scotland, so I don't really like the fact that the Ku Klux Klan comes from that any more than I like it being a part of America's history because I love America too. But the burning cross is a symbol. What, what they used to do in Scotland is they would, they would uh, burn a hillside or burn a cross, and that was a statement to all the clansmen to rally for war. So this was a statement of calling clansmen to war because we're going to shed blood tonight. So this was an intimidation tactic to anyone that was black. If you saw a burning cross, you knew that the Ku Klux Klan was on the move and they were hunting. And they were going to penalize someone for violating Jim Crow. And so this would have been as scary as all get out to anyone. And if you were a foreigner, you had a different ethnicity, Jews were a, a target, uh, any immigrant of any kind, because you were, you were invading their country. This was, this was a defined Americanism that was there. And so if you were coming from outside the country and trying to bring in your ways, and you were bringing in your immorality, your change of pace, well, you know what? We don't accept that here. This is America. And though the government has allowed you in, we are a, uh, an uns a hidden arm of the American people to do what the government can't do, and that is to get you out. The Ku Klux Klan. So this is what it was about. It's the explosion of preserved true America sentiment. It's hard, even as I am looking at this, to sort of try and swallow and, and think through how I might have appropriated this back in the day. Because it's easy in 19, in 19, do I actually think I'm still in the 20th century? It's in 2024, it's easy for me to look back and say, well, I would never do that. And yet, knowing my susceptibilities, which, you know, hopefully, I mean, I, I wear my susceptibilities on my sleeve, and I'm fairly aware of the way I think, and I'm also very watchful over my soul, and I don't buy hardly anything around me. I try and be very discerning. But I always want to just sort of ask myself the question, how, Eric, would you have handled this movement? Because it's so obviously bad in hindsight. But there are things happening today that I'm going to, at the end of this message, say maybe just as bad, just clothed differently. But preserve true America? Doesn't that sound like something you might want to get behind? Hey, God shed his grace on this country, and the enemy is attempting to encroach, to distort, to disturb the way we were given grace to be. We're a Christian nation. And yet there are factors and factions that are attempting to make their way in and upend the way we were intended to be. God has a purpose for this country. Let's preserve it. Huh. I could just called a few of you to arms right there. So this is not just going to be a small thing. And it's not just men. Women are going to begin to join the Ku Klux Klan. The women of the Ku Klux Klan. I know, very uh, creative name. Uh, but look at that, so here's a parade, and they were very open. 
they were very politically popular, if you can just try and imagine. Like I said, Woodrow Wilson uh, is going to screen the movie The Birth of a Nation in the White House and love it, which was originally as a play called The Klansman. And so in this flag, it says America first, one God, one country, one flag, and has two crosses on it. This is something that you felt patriotic when you were standing with the Ku Klux Klan. You felt like you were a pure, true American when you were standing with the Ku Klux Klan. So why the Ku Klux Klan to protect, to protect true America? So in the last episode, which was called Becoming a Big Shot, we talked about Al Capone, remember that one? Uh, and we were talking about the, the pro prohibition, which is going to be an amendment uh, to the Constitution. It's going to be a huge thing where we're going to illegalize alcohol. If you could just imagine doing that in a country, we're going to illegalize alcohol because there were massive movements called the temperance movements. And these temperance movements were very, very popular over in Great Britain and in America to basically say the problem with the crime rates that we have and the growing issues we have in society are due to the availability of alcohol. It is a demon. And when you allow it to be in free trade and in free commerce, then it actually is inhibiting and hazarding our culture. If we were to remove it, we would be free of this demon. And we would be able to think straight. Men would behave as men. They would no longer be spending all their, their family's money over down at the bar or the pub. Instead, we could actually have society back. And it, it makes sense. At a certain level, you could just go, yeah, that, that makes sense. Let's get rid of this stuff. The problem is you couldn't just eradicate alcohol. It's still there. Alcohol still exists. And so this is where all you have all your moonshiners. Have you seen any of those old movies where some guy's in the woods and he has his moonshine? And that's what's going to rise out of this, plus the illegal trade of alcohol and the speakeasies, all the little uh, hidden bars and pubs that are going to exist. And this is where the mafia is going to grow in power, and they are going to gain huge amounts of financial capital to begin to control our society. They can pay off anyone because everyone's a little susceptible to moolah, right? And this is going to be a huge issue in the 20s. In the 1920s, which are typically called the Roaring Twenties, or as I, I've used the term, the guzzling decade, it's ironic that more people probably drank alcohol in the 1920s than any other decade since or, you know, or before, and it was the, the decade where it was illegal. You know, that's, that's one of the great ironies of the Roaring Twenties. But our economy in America is going to explode. World War I, I think I said this before, is going to transfer the center of world finance from London, England to New York. And so we are going to become the center of world economy we are going to explode in financial strength as a country in this time. So the Roaring Twenties are classically sort of known for like throwing money to the wind. It's just like throw it up into the air. I have so much of it, it doesn't matter. And I don't know if you know what happened in the 1930s in America. We're going to get to that, but it's the exact opposite. We're going to go into what's called the Great Depression. And so sort of enjoy it while it lasts, guys. Uh, we're in the Roaring Twenties right now. History.com says it this way. The Roaring Twenties was a period in American history of dramatic social, economic, and political change. 
For the first time, more Americans lived in cities than on farms. The nation's total wealth more than doubled between 1920 and 1929, and gross national product, or GNP, expanded by 40% from 1922 to 1929. This economic engine swept many Americans into an affluent consumer culture in which people nationwide saw the same advertisements, bought the same goods, listened to the same music, and did the same dances. Many Americans, however, were uncomfortable with this racy urban lifestyle, and the decade of prohibition brought more conflict than celebration. But for some, the jazz age of the 1920s roared loud and long until the excesses of the roaring 20s came crashing down as the economy tanked at the decade's end. Oh, it's tough when you see a good economy tank, right? There is so many things in this, uh, this storyline which sounds so familiar with our modern world, it's, it's weird, okay? And that's one of the things that's been very fascinating to me to do a deep dive into this, is to recognize that we are rinse and repeat over again. If we do not deal with our history and we do not repent of our vices, we are bound to repeat them. So if we just cover them over with a little silt and sediment, it's like, oh, I don't see that. Nothing to see here. And we just move on. We are bound as a people to repeat. The enemy has gained a legal hold over this country and he is manipulating us. And I say, let's get him out. So in this time of the roaring 20s, we're going to have some rescuers that are going to step in, guys, people that really care about our country. They see it going down the tank. They see the immorality beginning to increase. And in step the rescuers. You guys know who the rescuers are? They could do what the government could not do. What could they do? They could preserve this country's integrity. And aren't you guys like, yeah, standing ovation for the rescuers as they come in. Who are these rescuers? I have a picture of them. It's the Ku Klux Klan. See, like I said, our vulnerability to this is high. If you love this country, then you have a tendency to lean in that direction and say, what do we need to do to keep it whole, to keep it healthy, to keep it stable? And the Ku Klux Klan, I'm just going to say, has a rotten core. It means, you know, there's a lot of the people that are joining it don't know that. They don't understand the abuse, the violence, the terrorism that is at the core of this organization and what its motivation is, but they are being drawn in like a moth to a flame to the preserve America mantra, to the let's maintain a moral country. Hey, look at these mobsters are going around doing this. Hey, we can do something. We can stop the distribution of alcohol. We can intimidate people. We can actually intervene. If the government's not going to be able to do it, we will. And so this is, this is something that those of us that love our country are very susceptible to. You can end up with some strange bedfellows, let's just put it that way, when you are moved the way that some of us in this room are. So the KKK's target in the 20s. This is odd to many of us because when we think of the KKK, we think strictly about a racial issue of blacks. And they were against the black race because of what had happened in the South, and which is true and there's no argument there that that is the primary agenda that the KKK had was an already existing internal issue. But at this time, they felt like since that was sort of already in their package, that wasn't their main thrust in the 20s. Their main thrust in the 20s actually became the issue of prohibition. 
And they felt that the greatest threat to America in the 20s was Catholic immigrants from Italy and Eastern Southern Europe. I know it sounds like such a strange group, but just remember my last message, which was called uh, Becoming the Big Shot? Where did those big shots come from? They came from Italy, Sicily. This is like, you're going to, I mean, it's interesting because if, if you're a good conservative and you see the, the mob out there, what are you going to feel too? That's a threat. You see, they, because of the immigration coming in, these immigrants were coming in with highly volatile lifestyle and practices. Their, their morality was a little off. They, they freely indulged in alcohol at a level that would be dangerous to our culture. We didn't like what they were trucking in. And so though our government may have allowed them to come in, we don't want them here. Okay, can you feel this? Immigration. I mean, all I have to do is bring up that term and it stirs something even in our modern conservatism. And yet this is an issue that I want us to recognize is a vulnerability to the conservative and it has been for a long time. That the way we handle those coming into our midst is important. And there's a right way and a wrong way. And we're dealing with a wrong way right now. So history.com says it this way. From the beginning, prohibition was tied up with anti-immigrant and anti-Catholic biases. Many of its advocates were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who thought only people like them could be real Americans. Now, this could have a political slant to it. I don't like hearing political slant either. However, this is a truth. This is what it is. This is the makeup of the KKK. It was white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. All right? Now, I mean, you could try and, you know, look into it deeper and see if you can find a whole bunch of different types of people, but there aren't. That is what... Those, that's the group that felt like this was their country. This is, there was a certain definition to this country. Now we got all sorts of characters trying to come in and mess up our country. So they believed the country was under siege by Catholic immigrants from countries like Italy and that these people threatened the U.S. with their foreign drinking habits and saloons. Now, all you have to do is replace that final line with something like, they believed the country was under siege by the mob, by the mafia, and that these people threaten the U.S. with their foreign drinking habits, speakeasies, and brothels. You could say that just the same because that's exactly what is happening. It's, it's not that they're missing it. They, there really is something happening. However, every Catholic that came over here wasn't a mob boss. It's when you start to group people together and, and say that, that is, you know, they're all Al Capone. Well, that's an incorrect statement. Or everyone from uh, Southern Europe, you know, is, a, is an alcoholic. That's an incorrect statement, but that's exactly what they've already done. The KKK has already done to the black race. They've already classified them as all being abusive, dangerous criminals. And we must make sure they know their place. And whenever you classify a group under one banner, you have done a terrible misdeed, number one, but then it also can justify your hatred of a race or a people group. Because if that's really the way they are, we need to deal with the whole people group. Lisa McGurr says this, the Klan often gained a foothold in local communities in the 1920s by arguing that it would clean up communities. It would get rid of bootleggers and moonshiners. 
So they would come into a small town which, you know, had some bootleggers and which are alcohol, you know, salesmen, you know, in sort of the black market. And moonshiners, those guys making illegal alcohol. And they'd say, we, we, one of the passions of the KKK is that we clean this up. You can imagine if someone's coming door to door in your town and you really are concerned about what, if this movement of immorality into your culture, and someone says, yeah, do you want to join the league to sort of get rid of this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested in that. And so it's hard for us, when we're going to see the explosion of the KKK, it's hard for us to really know how many people joined it knowing the true rottenness of it. And how many joined it because they just believed in what they were trying to get done, at least on the surface level. Again, when you join up with things and you don't know the rottenness of it, you can find yourself associated with some very, very bad things. So here's the statement. Politics can lead to strange bedfellows. When you are wanting to change society, you can find yourself associating with some rather... Uh, strange characters to get it done. It's like, well, but you want that too. Yeah, I do. Well, well, let's work together. Well, who are you working with here? And a lot of people started working with the KKK that, believe me, in the next 10 years are going to act like they never did. See, the KKK is going to have an explosion in membership, and then it's going to start to publicly be exposed for what some of the things they're doing. And then you're going to see a whole bunch of people going, hey, I, I wasn't ever a member. No, I don't know anything. KKK, never heard of them. It's sort of like, uh, do you guys remember Y2K? Now, some of you weren't maybe old enough uh, to remember it or to have a vivid understanding of it, but there's a few of you in here that are old enough uh, to remember. And Y2K uh, is when we were transferring from 1999 to the year 2000, and no one knew, which is such a funny thing, but no one knew how this was going to affect all of our computer systems worldwide. That would the computers, when they went to zero, zero instead of 99, would that reset them? Would they all just die? I mean, people spent, I mean, we have spent billions trying to uh, Y2K proof our computers. You know, these experts would come in and, and work on computers to make sure that they wouldn't die. And, but when it got to, you know, December 31st of 1999, and it was, you know, 11, 59, 59 seconds, I mean, the world just sort of leaned in. And we're like, what is going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happens, right? I mean, it was so ridiculous. But there were so many people that had generators and their, you know, their cans of baked beans and everything in their basement that are suddenly going to act like they knew that nothing was going to happen. Yeah, I knew nothing was going to happen. Hey, all these weird people out there that were all concerned. And that's sort of like this time period. You have a whole bunch of people that are going to associate with this group and then forever act like they'd never heard of them. Oh, I, yeah, I had nothing to do with that. Obviously, someone did, because there's going to be a huge portion of society that's going to be a part of this movement. History.com says it this way. Between 1920 and 1925, the Klan's membership grew to some two to five million. And there was a lot of overlap between these new members and those who supported prohibition. So you have all these good-hearted people that are supporting prohibition. And they're like, we need to deal with alcohol. And so all these people, and then they're going to see the government not be able to contain this. So it, it's the explosion of alcohol in our culture. So all this illegal activity. And so these prohibitionists, these people that have fought for so long to get this amendment passed are going to feel like we need to do something in addition to what the government can do. 
And the KKK steps in and says, we want to do that too. And so you're going to see these good-hearted ma-paw prohibitionists join up with this very odd uh, partner known as the KKK. Lisa McGurr says it this way. The WCTU, Women's Christian Temperance Union, all these sweet ladies, the Anti-Saloon League and the Klan were definitely not one and the same, but there was a lot of overlap in their goals. There was a lot of overlap in their ideology. And there was a tremendous amount of overlap in terms of their support for their activities in the 1920s. So in the year 2024, there can be overlap between people that maybe have a similar economic mindset towards this country as you might have. They may have a, a, a similar social construct or an immigration construct that you may have. But you need to be watchful of how you ally yourself, lest you ally yourself as these conservatives did back then. Lisa McGurr says it this way. Remember that those men and women who had worked so hard to pass the 18th Amendment, that's prohibition, were deeply disconcerted by the continuing overwhelming violations to it. One of the primary ways that women came into the Klan in a place like Indiana, where the Klan had a lot of power, was through the Women's Christian Temperance Union. In Williamson County, Illinois, one pastor admitted that while he had been accustomed to working through the Anti-Saloon League, now the hooded order provided a more militant vehicle. Well, the Anti-Saloon, or was that what it was called? Anti-Saloon League isn't getting anything done. The KKK actually is getting something done. These guys really mean business. And it worked at a certain level. It's intimidation. If you sense that there's thousands of people that are marching through town that are ready to you know, bring violence on you if you don't set, you know, put up, you know, uh, close up shop of your moonshine business, you know, that's a little intimidating. These guys meant business and they will use violence. So I'm gonna call this patriotism run amok. When Americanism becomes the highest virtue. Now I've hinted at this in the past messages too, but this is one of the challenges that any nation faces, America especially, because we have something very, very precious. I'm a huge fan of America. And so the term Americanism, you know, I, I gravitate towards it. I like it. I, I'm not ashamed of Americanism, right? What would that mean? I'm not sure, but it means something good. It means something noble, something brave, something pure and, you know, something godly, right? And so Americanism in and of itself is not actually what we follow. As believers, the great secret of our country is not that we follow something known as Americanism, but that we follow Jesus, and when we lose our compass and we start wandering towards Americanism instead of towards Jesus, that's when we're going right or left. And we no longer are following the narrow way and we immediately begin to fall to pieces. The Klan's kiddo dedication. This is a very, very serious issue for the Klan. It's not just one generation. This is multi-generational. The entire mentality they had was, okay, we're going to not just protect America now, but I'm going to train my kids to protect the next generation. And how is that going to be done? Through the KKK. This is the mindset. So this is what they would dedicate their children to. Listen to this phraseology. We dedicate our children to the principles and ideals of Americanism. And that, that sounds so harmless. I mean, that sounds like something we might do, right? Hey, you know, it, it put your hand on your 
over your heart, little one, and I want you to pledge allegiance to this flag. And we teach them that. We teach them the star-spangled banner. And oh, we have tears streaming down our face. And it's go to a July 4th a rodeo. And you know, we just feel American. I'm proud to be an American. Oh, is how fun is this? And so what are we dedicating our children to? If, I'm going, if you're going to ask me, Eric, what are you training your children for? To be proud Americans or to be loving Christians? I'm going with the second, guys. And it does not mean I'm not, a, not for this country, succeeding and being strong. And what I mean by it, succeeding and being strong, there are some similarities. I love it to be God-fearing. I'd love for our leaders to be God-fearing. I'd love for the word of God to have weight in this culture again. I'd love for there to be a reviving of spiritual fervor in this country. That's, yes, that is what I desire for our country. I think our Constitution is a brilliant piece of work. And I think what a healthy government is, we are one of the closest to it, if not the closest to it in all of world history so far. But not at the extent where I want to put that above the kingdom of heaven. I do not want to worship this country, its heritage, as if it is superior to what Jesus Christ has done. So here's a kiddo dedication. They had something called the KKK Kitties or Kitties of the KKK, I think is what it was. And so here's a little baby dedication where this, this couple is dedicating their child to uh, the ideals and principles of Americanism. And these little ones would grow up in the midst of this. It's, it's just sort of spooky to me. I mean, I'm not sure how you guys process this because all of us sort of maybe have a different lens of how we see someone in a hood with little eyes cut out. But to me, this is just like, this is like the stuff of bad dreams. Uh, like if I was going to, you know, have a nightmare in the night, it would be something like this. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting to look at and to see this as part of our history. Uh, here's a little kitty, uh, of, kitties of the KKK gathering with their own burning cross. And, uh, you know, you grow up with that hood on, and I'm guessing it feels very normal to wear it uh, as you grow older. Well, what exactly were the principles and ideals of Americanism to a Klansman? So we can break that out a little. And I want you to just sort of think through these things in, re in relationship to your own priorities. Protestantism. This is part of the ideals of Americanism. In other words, hey, we're going to start with the, the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and this is going to be a pure strain of Christianity. We are getting rid of that Catholicism and that orthodoxy from, the, uh, from Europe, and we are going to have a, a pure Protestantism over here. Okay, so this is one of the value systems, and most of us come from a similar strain, right? And so we could be like, yeah, hey, that's good. We don't want Catholic, Catholic, Catholicism to creep in and overtake this country. No, this is a Protestant Christian country. So that was one of the things that they were vowing to preserve. Purity of racial hierarchy. Now, I know some of us are just lost right at that point. But this was a big deal back then, and to the point where if I could somehow convince us to understand that it was moral to them. It was moral for the white person to be deemed in the superior position, lest 
the inferior rule this country and lead us in the wrong direction. Now, that's based on a lot of bad uh, information right there, right? But this is the ideology of that time. I mean, if you thought that something was inferior, you wouldn't want to put it, it's like putting your three-year-old in charge of the home. You'd be like, no, we don't want to do that lest we disrupt the home. So, Father, take your proper role. We'd be like, oh, good, good preaching there, Eric. But the same thing was true back then. They would be looking at it as a three-year-old being put in charge of the home. So we can't allow that to happen. We need to preserve this country. Now, that was wrong. It was arrogant. It was actually not biblical. But somehow it had worked its way into their Protestantism where it had become a part of it. So racial hierarchy was part of their moral infrastructure and part of what they would term their Americanism. This next one is a very odd one for many of us too in the modern day. Purity of racial lineage. You know that a white and a black dating even, having a romantic interest in each other was so strictly forbidden in early America. And if you could say why, I mean, I grew up, even when I was born in 1970, I actually remember thinking that it must be a biblical mandate that a white person and a black person are not supposed to uh, have a relationship with one another. I mean, I, that's literally how I grew up. I thought it was in the Bible somewhere. It's actually not in the Bible. It's in our culture. And it had to do with the purity of the race lines. Because if a black person, just imagine how a white person might think of this. If a black person could marry in and have a child, now that child has been raised in its position from being black to now being having a portion of white, which will now give them a stronger position in society. That's a creative way for the black person to invade the society. Okay, I'm just saying, this is, this is literally how the thinking worked. To the point that even to this day, we still struggle with the vapors of this, where we don't understand that that isn't how God evaluates things. That isn't his line. He's not looking exterior at skin tone to determine compatibility. And yet that is for us something that has been lingering in our country for a very long time. So that was part of Americanism, what we could call purity of racial lineage. And now here's a key one, suppression of any and all threats to this purity. So what did we just define as purity? We didn't define as purity sexual, you know, not having sexual immorality. We didn't talk about it being you know, not lusting in your thought life. That wasn't what purity was defined as. Purity was defined as racial hierarchy and racial lineage. So when we use the word purity, we need to recognize it's very different than the way you might think of purity. So it's suppression of any and all threats to this purity using sheer intimidation and violence, if necessary, to secure it for the upcoming generation. I am going to love my children by preserving the generation I'm in from this impurity. And this is the value system of what we understand as the KKK. And yet, if you were to just hear that the KKK was interested in promoting Christian values in our culture and promoting purity in our culture, uh, you might be susceptible too. Because, well, I'm, I'm interested in that. That, that. that sounds like a good thing. This was a very dangerous disease that crept into our country, and I don't know that we've ever properly dealt with it. Maybe we have. Maybe there's groups of Christians that have, that have gone through a repentance process on this. 
But this is a disease. It is wrong. It is evil. And yet it has been a big part of our history. So an estimated 8 to 10 million members in the mid to late 20s. So when we're going through the roaring 20s, we have a group that is roaring in size. Now, I've heard varying uh, reports. I just read something today that said that it was up to 5 million in the 20s. So, I mean, I'm not sure how, uh, who officially has a count on this, but let's just summarize to say it's a huge amount of people. And the fact that we have, what is it, like five to 6,000 members in the KKK presently today, and we had five uh, to 10 million uh, in the late 1920s, this is showing that this was a massive, it had a massive footprint in our culture. So I think I said wowzer up there. Did you guys see that? Wowzer. That's a lot of people. The consequential actions, a deeply cultivated, so this is what's going to happen as a result of this movement. There's going to be a deeply cultivated hatred and prejudice toward people based on their skin color and or their ethnicity leading to justified violence rationalized murders, and excused acts of terrorism under the banner of American patriotism. Hey, this was, this was patriotism, guys. We are preserving our borders. We are preserving the integrity of our nation. You just murdered a man. No, no. It's different if you think about it in war. When you think of someone going over in war to fight against the Nazis, and they shoot a Nazi, that's not murder. That's military action to defend a homeland. They look around the room for justification, they nod, and then people are like, yeah, I think that makes sense. So a lynching of a black man or a Jew is going to now fall under the banner of a military patriotic action to preserve the integrity of a nation. We had to do it. I mean, the government wasn't going to do it. We had to do it. So you can see how this rationalization is going to coat the KKK where they can still somehow be Christian in their values. They're going to go to church and they're going to sing their hymns to God. They are going to talk about loving one another. And they're going to say, yeah, and the badge of our, the evidence of our discipleship is our love for one another. But who they mean by one another is those that are with them in this country. Those that are pure Americans, true Americans. And that's how they're going to evidence their love. But those that are outside of that are going to receive their hatred. Who would join such a wicked movement? That's the key question that we're all wondering. Come on, who would join such a movement? So I, I have a, a statement on the screen just to let you guys wriggle a little. Well, the Christian conservative that dearly loves his or her country is especially vulnerable. Um, <clears throat> I think I just mentioned quite a few of us in here that would be especially vulnerable. Now we are, we hate it just like, you know, we should. This is despicable, this is wrong. And that's why I'm bringing this up, is I want us to recognize that in that day, they couldn't see its wrongness at first. They saw patriotism. And sometimes under the banner of patriotism, we can be wooed into participation with things that are actually not the extension of Christ's kingdom. They are not the manifest uh, revelation of Jesus' love and care and kindness and truth. So now I'm going to contrast this, which will make you guys all feel really good, okay? 
And that is, we're going to get off the KKK just for a second, then I'll get back to it. I'm not going to leave it very long, so I'm not going to give you much reprieve. Communism. Now, that's something that most of us in here are not struggling with, you know, if I should become a communist or not, okay? In our type of gathering, that's the farthest thing from our mind. That's, that is the threat. That is the problem. I mean, can't believe these guys are getting away with this. I mean, it's in the schools now. It's in the politics. I mean, this is cloaked communism. It's like classic conservative talk, right? So what is communism? Communism, like the movement of the KKK, is an extreme mentality. It is an incorrect mentality, and I am going to have to walk through communism quite a bit in this little period because this is the age in which the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia is going to take place in 1917, and we're going to see the overthrow of the government. Vladimir Lenin is going to come into power, and then he is, when he passes away, you're going to see someone named Joseph Stalin step into place, and we are going to be dealing as a country with this thing known as the Red Scare from 1917 on, and that is there is a bait towards those that are oppressed, those that are impoverished, to rise up. It is a message that the communists are wanting to spread throughout the world to rise up, defy your government. And so the KKK is very much against this. They want to preserve the American integrity. And communism is atheistic. Well, you can't get something further away from Protestantism than atheism. And so this becomes the arch nemesis. Now, if you were the oppressed ones, have you guys heard of anyone that's been oppressed in this storyline so far? If you're one of the oppressed ones, what are you looking for? You're looking for a rallying point too, someone who will give you muscle to accomplish something that you know you need. You don't have equal rights. No one is considering your case. You have crosses burning on the hillside, threatening you could be next. Imagine that position that someone could be in and how complementary to their circumstance a message of strengthening the little guy would be. And the communists know that. So communism, it's a deeply cultivated hatred and prejudice toward people based on their view of God, not on their skin color, on their view of God, on their view of society, and their view of government. If you have the wrong mentality... If you don't understand the value of communism, of this Bolshevism, if you don't get it, then you are actually a threat. And you're part of the problem. Because you know the, the people that really get this are going to recognize that this is the movement. There is one movement, and it's communism. And this is going to lead to justified violence, rationalized murders, and excused acts of terrorism under the banner of party patriotism. Now, it's very easy for all of us in this room to see the disgusting nature of this. If you see how many hundreds of millions are going to be killed in and through communism over this century that we're in, I mean, you're going to very quickly agree, this is devilish. This is horrible. It is. It is. It's uh, sort of the opposite counterpart to the KKK. In other words, the conservatives have their little bastion of justification and so do the liberals. I should put the liberals over here. I always put them on the left, and then the, the conservatives can go over to the right, even though I usually reserve the right for the good stuff, and I'm still a little, I don't know that I want to stick anyone on the right in this conversation. So here's a question. We talk about communism. Who would join such a wicked movement? Well, the socially oppressed, 
legally hindered and financially poor are uniquely susceptible. Especially if they aren't particularly appreciative of how their country has been treating them lately. You see how the devil's going to play our country? You see, we have one movement over here that is going to spike the issues of trying to put down all of the anti-American movement that's coming in. And then we have all of these oppressed people, KKK, are genuinely creating havoc for a people group. And that oppressed people are going to be very susceptible to saying, hey, do I have a savior? Do I have a, a savior outside of Jesus? That's, in both situations, that's what we're looking for. We want a savior outside of Jesus for this country. And both sides are susceptible to something that is going to break our country apart. So I'm not going to talk about the liberal blind spot of the day. That's, that's not really my business. But since I deal with a lot of conservatives, I'm going to talk about the conservative blind spot of our day. Guys, you're going to really like this, I'm sure. Many are still wearing the white hoods in their hearts. I don't mean that even racially. Because there's some of you in here that cannot figure out how these people in the past could have been so idiotic as to base anything upon skin color or ethnicity. It's like, what were they thinking? That's really hard for us because in many ways, we have gone through repentance, a repentance, a repentance, a repentance in our nation on these points. So we've repented actually creating a judgment for, towards skin color. And then the next generation says, yeah, we're going to repent that we were, you know, again. And so you're going to see, in a strange sense, a cleansing out of a certain mindset in our country over the last 100 years. But what we still possess is a volatile justification under the banner of American patriotism to hate a group of people and to feel like they are the threat and that we would be willing to potentially do whatever it takes to preserve that. There's a reason why there's what many people have called a growing civil war in our country where people are ready to fight and they're ready to kill fellow Americans. Well, who are those fellow Americans? Who, what, what's going on here? Explain this, Eric. Well, it's sort of hard to explain because it's ideological. It's not racial. It is based on a political vantage point instead of a racial position. It's not based on skin color or ethnicity. It's based on what people see as a vision for this country. And so I'm going to say that it's still a blind spot. I'm not going to say it's not a blind spot for the liberal because they have the same issues too. However, I'm not talking to them right now. I'm going to say that there is a possibility to wear a white hood, but you wouldn't be wearing it for the same reason the KKK would have. But it's over our heart. And it's a justification of the fact that we can hate someone who has a liberal ideology. We can hate them. By the way, this is an entire political movement in our world. The conservative movement has taken on a position of revilement, of belittlement, and of a desire to see them destroyed. And when you join that rank, when you enter into, in step with that, what are you desiring? You, you're under the banner of trying to preserve America, but you're also lockstep in stride with something that is anti the very group that you've been called to minister to and to win for Christ. 
this ought not to be. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a political position. I'm just saying you can't walk lockstep with the Ku Klux Klan. You are not to be a member of that movement. You can be a movement of truth. You can have a, a vision for what this country ought to be. You can even vote towards it, but be very watchful what you sidle up to and what you engage in because there is an anti-mentality that has crept into our souls and we can't allow it to continue. Luke 12, one through three, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, think of hoods, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. So in Corinth, there is a very terrible sin. And yet, the Corinthians do not remove it. They do not kick it out. And in fact, in many ways, they're sort of chuckling about the fact that you know, their freedom in Christ could even allow for something like this to remain. And Paul is going to hit that. The same way I wish that all of us could hit this. And we could just get this out of our midst. Because even though I'm touching on it now, does not mean it's going to be eradicated. It's a big deal in and amongst the church of Jesus Christ today, where we are housing a volatile hatred towards those that oppose our country, those that we feel are undermining our constitutional republic, those that seem to be strategically and conspiratorially undermining the freedoms we have in this country. And we then find ourselves wanting to band together with other like-minded people, turn to certain conservative pundits, listen to them, and we boil inside. And this ought not to be. This is not the inner terrain of a Christian. The inner terrain of a Christian is not conspiring how they could burn a cross and, and create an intimidation technique to everyone that would dare stand against their view of a country. I love our country, and I know the susceptibility that would be associated with this because I want our country to be preserved too. And it's been a grief process for me to walk through and watching what happened in 2020 and seeing the overreach of government and seeing various things happen. It's been very hard for me. I get it. But there is a proper way to handle every trial we face as a believer. Jesus Christ has given us the model, the recipe for it. Paul the Apostle is going to continue in that. He's going to teach us what's called the doctrine of suffering. He's going to train us in rejoicing even when we're in a prison cell. And he's going to show us that even the negative things or even the evil things, God turns all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, we can rejoice in every circumstance. Jesus says, your joy no man can take from you. Oh, you can give it away, but no man can take it. So don't give it away. So Paul is going to say to this messed up church at Corinth, not altogether dissimilar from our American culture today. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So the last scripture I just gave you was talking about leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus is also gonna say, beware of the leaven of Herod. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. There is leaven that leads you conservative. There's leaven that leads you liberal. And 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You start catering, you start going to those KKK meetings and listening to their talking, they'll, they'll fuel something in you. They will fan it into flame. You start going to those uh, communist meetings and they will fuel you. It will touch on something. You tired of being beaten down? You tired of being stepped on? You tired of this? You see, it'll, it'll fan into flame. It's leaven. And it will supercharge a certain part of your being that God doesn't want to be fed. He wants to feed your spirit, man, not your flesh. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So many of us are keeping the feast. We are serving God and celebrating the work of God, but with the wrong leaven. We're acting just like the KKK. They have a big cross on their, their chest. They're supposedly serving God, keeping the feast and putting quotes around that, but with malice and wickedness. It's old leaven. Purge it. Get it out. This has nothing to do with our life. We receive Christ who is unleavened. So we do not have that hypocrisy. We do not have that wickedness and malice in our bearing, in our countenance. But we have sincerity and truth. We are Christians. And we are not played by the devil's agenda, right or left, in our culture. We all have leanings. But our primary leaning should always be straight towards Jesus. This is what God wants to train us in. If we're going to see the church of Jesus triumphant once again, we have to get out the old leaven. Father, this is a work you must do in us. And I pray that you would start with us, that we would not look to the rest of this country or even around the world and say, well, there's where the problem is. Lord, start with us. Where there's old leaven, where there's old susceptibility, Lord, I pray that you would purge it and that we would not have a white hood over our hearts. Lord Jesus, set us free. Set us free to love as you love, to consider those that are antagonistic towards us as our primary mission field, as our primary targets of love and care and kindness. Lord, we want to do this your way, not ours. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.